0: This is a big morning for us. Um, It's so funny. I have an eight-year-old who's like my mini-me, I'm told. And, you know, we were talking, I guess it was last week, about this moment, about February 3rd and kind of the relaunch and the story that we've been on so far as a community. And uh, so we're talking, and he's way in the back of the van. And he says, you know, Dad, I've really been thinking and praying. What? Who says that at eight years old? He says, I've really been thinking and praying, and he paused. And so we were talking about February 3rd in this moment. And he says, Dad, I really hope Tom Brady wins the Super Bowl. <laughs> and I thought, we digress, exactly. If you don't know, I'm like the biggest, I'm sorry, but I'm just the biggest Tom Brady fan in the world. And he is like, actually, I'm the second now biggest Tom Brady fan in the world. To him, So it's so funny and he's so jacked. We're having a party tonight by the way if you want to come and he's coming as well. He staked his his case so it's pretty cool. Um, But obviously this has been a moment we've been looking at and hoping for for the last number of months and really looking to this day as a day where we launch out. We just took January just to take some time uh, for people who've been a part of this community kind of to get our house in order and we're just really, really excited about the days forward. And I don't know about you, we probably, I know all of us in this room have moments in our lives that shape us at our core. Uh, For Heather, uh, my wife, she was 19 years old, and she walked in on a Sunday evening to a church in downtown Toronto. Now, I'd say at this point in her life, she was probably pretty disillusioned with the church at that moment in her life. And she walked into a community on that night, and something changed for her. And here's the thing, it wasn't the sermon I'm like, ah, oh, no, the sermon guy. You know, you'd hope it'd be like be the the life changing sermon. It wasn't. It wasn't the music. It was a girl. She walked into that church on that Sunday evening, and it was a girl on the door, who welcomed her as a 19 year old, immediately knew her name, and welcomed her into that community. And for the entire night, actually spent the night with her, a part of that church. And that was a moment in her life where that was just a game changer. For Heather, that was a moment where it's like, whoa, the church can be more, and there's nothing wrong with songs and sermons. This is beautiful, but the church is, and even worship is more than just this mental ascent in our head, that it's something deep within us in how we treat each other. That was a moment in her life where she saw something and she said, man, I, if it, this changes the game. If I could be that to somebody else, then this changes the whole trajectory of things. For me, it was little events, like little incremental things. Uh, That's 2003, a trip to Australia where I kind of got to do this internship thing in a a fairly large church, and I began to see that church could actually be engaging, that church could be life-giving, which is beautiful. I grew up in a great church, but it was just that moment in my life. And then in 2005, I took a trip with a couple mentors to Southeast Asia. One of them actually surprised us and showed up here this morning, and he's smiling right now because it was the most ridiculous trip of my life. As I spent time around guys that just poured into my life and we traveled and I began to see that the kingdom of of God was alive and at hand and then it turned into a youth group that honestly now looking back as Heather and I led that time in those students I think I took it for granted Because as I look back, and some of you guys were involved in those moments, it was like this little mini revival on the east side of London. Even just reflecting this week, thinking back to the moments and these kids coming from really dark places and finding the hope and love of Jesus. It was incredible. It was incredible. To March 13th, 2011, and when we started this journey as City View and the life and the joy and the things we've experienced over the last bunch of years, it's been amazing. And now to stand in this moment and say, you know, we're we're starting something that we've certainly been a part of, but we're launching and and stepping into something new. It's beautiful. Praxis Church. You know, as I've been talking with people about Praxis, a lot of people just around the name, a lot of people like... are engaged with the name and they know exactly what we're talking about. Because I even talked to one nurse nurse, and she said, my program at school, the practical part of my program at school is actually called praxis. Others are trying to kind of lean in and understand the uniqueness of it. This is what praxis means. It's simply the process by which a theory, a lesson, or skill is enacted, embodied, or realized. It may also refer to the act of engaging, applying, exercising, or practicing ideas. If you know, our community has been on this really intense journey over the last couple of years, and this is who we are. This is the moving piece for us to say, you know what, this is who we are. We are Practice Church because we are people that just don't, again, ascend in our minds to what it means to follow Jesus, but we actually want to do what Jesus says. And so over and over you begin to see that in the scriptures, Jesus, this haunting thing at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gets up and he actually says that you you can hear everything that I have to say in this sermon, but if you don't put it into practice, you're like a foolish person who builds their life on the sand. Isn't that crazy? Like the, think about it for a second. The greatest teacher of all time, Jesus of Nazareth, knew that his teaching on their own wouldn't be transformational. Like on their own, it's just information. And we've been just grappling with this the last number of, uh, especially the last couple of years, to say right thinking is absolutely essential and important. The word of God is so important, but Jesus says the one who actually puts it into practice, or poieo is the Greek word, is the one who's wise. As a community, we've just been saying, I, I don't know about you, I just want to be wise. Anybody, you want to grow into wisdom. You know, seven times, I think, in 29 verses, Jesus uses this word in Matthew 7, poieo, to practice or to bear. Like once every three verses, he's getting at something that we're to be people that bear fruit and do the will of God. And so this is Praxis practice, practice Church. This is who we're becoming, this community that exercises or embodies. What does your church do? Oh, we exercise, right? we embody what we learn and we put it into practice. And this has driven us to the spiritual disciplines and this has driven us to a number of things as a community as we launch out that we think are going to be important in the future. Now, don't get me wrong. This is not um, something that we just think we can do on our own. Uh, There's a great... Gal, her name is Fleming Rutledge, and she's a writer. She's probably in her 60s or 70s, and she's an Episcopalian priest. She's done a lot of writings that have really shaped my life. And she wrote a book on Advent recently, and in her book, she talks about the importance that we always need to be remembering that first and foremost, God acts. God acts. So for the last few months, every time I get up to teach or we get up here, and it's not this morning, it's been a busy morning, if you know what I'm saying, but uh, I have this little piece of paper and it says, God acts, just as a reminder that as we lead our community towards doing stuff, it's not just about what we do, but first and foremost, God acts. And then out of that, as a community, we practice the way of Jesus together. God acts, and that initiates a response within us that we believe is vital and important. You with me? You out there? So here's what I'm I'm thinking. I'm thinking that the best, and here's what we're thinking. The best way to do this for us, as we launch out, is to take the next number of weeks and talk about our mission and our vision and our values. We're calling it Discover Praxis. And the hope is, is to just clearly articulate for you guys who we are, and so that people know what they're getting into. You know, I think that's a good thing. (laughs) And then after this, this will really be the gateway into membership here. First of all, our mission it's really simple. Our mission and the reason why we exist as a community is to do the things that Jesus says are great. This is, actually, this is something I think probably every church, every church that follows Jesus, this is probably their mission. It's to do the things that Jesus says are great is great. Now, if you have a Bible and you want to turn with me, we're going to be in Matthew 22 really quickly. But I think it's just important to, to shape our lives around the things that Jesus says are most essential. And in Matthew 22, we get a picture of a scribe or like a Pharisee or a really religious leader at that time in Jewish history. And he comes up to Jesus and he asks him, what is the greatest? Now, the interesting thing in all of this is that for millennia, there was a debate amongst the rabbis and the religious leaders as to what the greatest law in Torah was. If you don't know what Torah is, it's the first five books of the Bible. And in there are 613 laws that Israel was shaped by. Some of you are like, I can't even like avoid the red light cameras. Anybody? (laughs) There's a red light camera at Springbank and Wonderland. Anybody? And I get so freaked out when I drive up to it because I'm always thinking it's going to charge me even though it's green. Some of you know what I'm talking about. This whole community was shaped by these these laws that shaped them. And, you know, some of us can't get our taxes done on time, let alone worrying about boiling a goat in its mother's milk, if you know. And that's, that's in there. You're like, the Bible's crazy. I know, but it's in there. So a scribe comes to Jesus, and this was the raging debate in the day, during Jesus' day in the first century amongst the rabbis. What is the great, how do we sum this whole thing up How do we understand and get a a framework for how we should live in light of Torah? And this is what Jesus says. He says, it's pretty simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says, listen, all the law, everything you read in the Old Testament, all the law and all the prophets, hang on these two commands. This, my friends is a simple echo of the Shema in Deuteronomy 6, which shaped every Jewish person. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and strength. Every little kid would grow up on this. They would say it four or five times a day. When they would eat, when they would go at the house, they would say it. When they'd return home, when they would put their kids to bed, when they would look on the doorposts of their house as they left the house, they would say this. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and strength. And Jesus now is just echoing what has been part of the story for a long time. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. This simple call from Leviticus, this is what Leviticus says, and Jesus is just echoing it, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And ma- imagine with me, just imagine a church in a community that just loved God and people with everything. You with, like, would, that not just, would that not just take care of itself? a community that's deeply in love with God and the people that it comes into to contact with. God, may that be us as a community. Now, what's crazy is this is not in a vacuum. You know the 10 big ones? You know, we know them as the 10 commandments. Anybody, right? Like, sometimes we think these things are just rules and rigid and hard things. You know what's crazy about the 10 commandments? First of all, that if anything, in the language, in the Hebrew language, they were more like wedding vows than anything. It was like God coming into covenant with his people, Israel. And these 10 things, these 10 words, you know what's interesting about them? It's exactly what Jesus is summing up. Look, I paraphrase these, by the way. But the first four are all about loving God. Have no other gods, don't have idols, don't take the Lord's name in vain, and keep the Sabbath. All four of these things are all about interaction with God. Then it turns, in the 10 big ones, to loving others, honor your father and mother, and all the parents said, "Come on, I needed some of that this morning. Are you with me?" I have a six-year-old; he's amazing. He needs G- he needs Jesus. If you know what I'm saying, <laughs> we needed to bring him up here and pray with him, with the kids. I love him. Don't tell him I said that. I don't want to. I don't want to damage him. Um, don't kill. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't covet neighbors' stuff. Right? It's all about loving God and love. This is what the whole law. Is summed up by. And so, man, we just think, what? Imagine a world where the church loves God and its neighbor with everything it has. That's the kind of people that we want to be. We want to do what Jesus says is great. But the other thing that Jesus says is great is the Great Commission. Matthew 28, as Jesus, before he ascends to heaven, he just says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. This is our mission. We love God, we love people, and we go on the Great Commission and make disciples. And God has placed us in this place for a reason to embody this and live this out. So our mission, I think, probably syncs up with most churches. I think most churches probably should have the same mission. But when it comes to our vision, here's how we roll. And we have, like, stumbled into this over the last little while. I know we're launching as a new community, but this has been something that has shaped us very deeply, and it's this. Our vision is simple. Our vision is we practice the way of Jesus together. We're a community that practices the way of Jesus together. And Jesus was all about his followers coming in to practice. And so over the last couple years, this has led us to the spiritual disciplines and being a community that practices personal things. So we do things like fixed hour prayer and fasting and Sabbath and all of these things that actually shape us into the to Christ-likeness, to the kind of people that Jesus really wants in us following him. And it's been a journey, and it's been hard. Anybody with me? Like, for the first time in my life, so I grew up in a, like, a Pentecostal church, amazing church, but we typically fasted, and when we fasted, it was for breakthrough. Anybody with me? Come on, somebody. Yeah, come to Jesus. Um, but I've, many of us have stepped in the last few years to this rhythm of fasting, as this little glimpse each and every single week that the kingdom of God is at hand. We stand in solidarity with the poor. There's these things that we've entered into as people that begin to shape us. And then we've really stepped in to corporate practices that we believe God wants to move and work through us. And the vision is to practice what Jesus leads us to, to practice the way of Jesus. If anything, the scripture talks about discipleship as a way or a road that we walk. Very few people I I know that are followers of Jesus have a plan to look any different than what they do now 20 years from now, and we're saying, no, no, no. As we follow Jesus, I believe our lives will grow deep as we grow wide. here's the thing. As we've been wrestling through this, and some of you have been around for the pre-launch gathering, so we've talked through this. This may be a little bit of repetition, but I think it's important because I do believe, and we believe, that there's a couple things that probably make us unique as a community. There's a lot of churches around, you know what I'm saying? Oh, you're thinking out for my my good. You don't want me to slip on that? Thank you. I appreciate that. Tim has always got my back, which is great. It's It's his birthday, (laughs) and I have his. And I have, his, I have your happy birthday. I, we got a bunch of stuff for you at the back and the cookies and stuff, so yeah, it's good. It's all good. Just stayed up all night preparing that stuff, so you're welcome. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, you know, yeah thank you. What sets us apart? What, what, makes us, what makes us a little different? Here's a word. It's a funny word. It's not even an English word, but actually is a word that actually helps really explain and culminate who we want to become. And it's this word... Eucharismatic. Can you say it with me? Eucharismatic. Eucharismatic. Now, this is uh, some writers and some people have been talking about this in a way to define a particular kind of community and what they embody. There's really three things that I, two things typically, but I think for a praxis, three things that make us Eucharismatic, and these things maybe make us a little bit different. So Eucharismatic is two words that come together. Eucharist, which means Thanksgiving, and charismatic, which obviously if you know and have any exposure to charismatic movement, is a a, a community and people that really value the life of the Spirit. And here's the thing, we want actually all of this in our corporateness as a community. So there's really, for me, it's like a tricycle. I was gonna bring a trike, I forgot it this morning. There's really three wheels that spin for us as a community that will help you understand who we are. So what does it mean to be eucharismatic? Well, one, one of the things that shapes us is we're rooted. And what has really come to life in our community, especially over the last little while, is that we are actually a community that's rooted in the sacraments and the church tradition. And this has become important for us As we journey as a community together. So, this means things like we're attentive to the church calendar. So, you hear things around here like Lent and Advent. We talk about things like the church calendar and the different seasons that Epiphany and the different seasons that lead us through that. We're also very attentive to the public reading of Scripture from the lectionary because we believe that we just didn't land here as something new out of nothing, out of a vacuum but we are a part of a great tradition that has gone before us. And so there's thousands upon thousands of churches around the world that engage in reading the same thing each week from Scripture to help keep us grounded and rooted. The other thing that we do here is we practice the sacraments regularly. We eat the Lord's Supper, take the Lord's Supper together every single week, and we do many of the other sacraments as this signpost that we're caught in something bigger than ourselves. With me. And Over time now, we've really been attentive to how our corporate liturgy, what we do here, how it actually shapes us. You following me? One of the things that has really come to life for us, as most churches try and do new and creative and contemporary things, which is fine, is how do we remain rooted in the great tradition that's gone before us? How do we remain in sync And understand that we just didn't show up here out of nothing, but we're actually a part of something bigger than ourselves. You follow me, brothers and sisters. This has been big. Now, here's the thing. There's a lot of historical mainline churches that are like this, and this is it. They're Eucharistic, if that's a word. Um, But there's there's not a lot of depth or what we would see as the second thing or the second wheel in what it means to be Eucharismatic. And that second wheel is we're charismatic. Now, some of you are like, oh, no. Because you have like pictures in your head of people waving flags, and we left the flags at home this morning, and the shofar. I left my shofar at home, okay? <laughs> Is that okay? You're all right with that? Because some of you I know from your pat, you're like, oh no, you, e- this word has all sorts of meanings and definitions for people under it, and that's hard for some, some of you. But we believe we're charismatic in the best sense, meaning we're open to the gifts and the work of the Holy Spirit. We're committed as a community to intercessory prayer and contending prayer. We're a praying community. We believe, and I believe this because the Bible, and we as a community believe this because the Bible believes this and speaks of this, that a life immersed in the Spirit is the Jesus way. Do you know that I think one of the only things that all four Gospels say, because we have four different accounts of Jesus' life, all four of them say that Jesus came to what? Anybody know? Baptize us in the Holy Spirit. That was Jesus' mission, to baptize his disciples in the Holy Spirit. And one of the things we want to do here, and we believe that as a kind of the charismatic wheel, is we practice passionate corporate worship as we gather regularly together. And so we want to embody all these things. Now here's the thing. Typically of these first two wheels, churches are good at one or the other. Churches are really into like, The uh, the Eucharist side and the Lord's Supper and the tradition and all of that, but there's no spirit life. Then there's a lot of churches where there's a ton of spirit life and following after Jesus through the spirit, but there's no rootedness in the tradition. What we're saying is both those wheels are spinning here. This is the kind of people we want to be. You with me? This is the kind of community that we want to be. Deeply rooted, but deeply charismatic. But then I would also say for us as a church in the city, and this is just the way we're built that there's probably a third wheel on the trike when it comes to being eucharismatic. And it's this, I don't like the word contemporary. It is what it is. But just think of this third wheel on the trike as being current. We want to be, there's no secret, we want to be current. We utilize things like technology and media appropriately. So right now your kids are watching high-definition lessons and hearing the gospel through all of uh, these different ways. They have small groups they're learning through. But, you know, one of the things we've done is we've been able as a smaller community that doesn't have a children's pastor youth pastor to enable and utilize technology to help us in the future growth of our kids and our youth and stuff. We want to reach and meet the next generation where they're at, Right? So I don't wear like a, a dress or a robe on Sunday morning. And Some of you are like, thank the Lord, right? So can we be deeply rooted in the tradition? Yes. Can we be charismatic? But we can also, like anybody with me, a little bit of like Chuck Taylors in a jean jacket, any, we can do this. You don't, you don't have to do this, but that's just the way I'm cut. Are you okay with that? Okay. Some of you are like, no, dress. Okay. Um, we, we're a church that takes seriously reaching people in our post-Christian moment. And you know, the, one of the ways we're wired is we believe God's placed us here in a, in a moment that is f- obviously changing, changing times all around us. We want to be reaching people in this post-Christian moment. And then along with this current idea is we're a community that's not afraid of doing things out of the ordinary. So we do these crazy things like we'll just have Sabbath and not show up some Sundays. And we actually think really hard and deeply about that for our team and for our people, that they're on the right weekends, typically long weekends, so that our community can get rest because we believe Sabbath and rest. And there's people that are here every morning loading in every week at 8.30. So we do things out of the ordinary like Sabbath. Once in a while, we can't get this room. So we just do potlucks out of nowhere where we just eat and, and spend time together. We're not afraid to step into a rhythm that I believe serves the body well. And I believe that this is what it means to be Eucharismatic, one, rooted, two, charismatic, and three, current. Imagine a church where all of these things are working together. This is the kind of community that we wanna become. Just get a vision of this. This is a guy named Andrew Wilson. This is what he says about this. It's a long quote. Bear with me, this is what he says. He says, I invite you to imagine such a church encountering the delights of embodied worship for the first time. Imagine them rediscovering the power of symbols, water, bread, wine, and oil. Picture them reinventing their liturgy to include biblical elements they have missed and finding depths to the gospel that they had almost forgotten. Imagine the snowball gaining momentum as they use monks to help them pray and martyrs to help them sing. They start to read books by dead people and find that they are more alive than many of the books by living people. They catechize their families. They rejoice in the sacraments. They do things that do things. Then, imagine them drenched in the Holy Spirit, prone to spontaneous outbursts of praise and the kind of joy that makes people spin. They begin to heal the sick. They read Psalm 150 and actually do it. They cast out demons when needed. They use spiritual gifts in meetings, not just the leaders, but everyone. Come on, somebody. They shout sometimes and dance sometimes. I know, we like shout and dance in our hearts here at Practice Church. That's good. Well, that's great. They laugh like children. They pray as if, Uh, The lion of Judah is on the edge of his seats, hands raised, ready to pounce. They expect God to speak to them at home or in the office. Their meetings look more like African weddings than English funerals. I apologize if you're English. I apologize. That's not my quote. That's his, all right? Now, put all of this together. Imagine a service that includes healing testimonies and prayers of confessions, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, baptism in water, and baptism in the spirit creeds that move the soul and rhythms that move the body. Imagine young men seeing visions and old men dreaming dreams, sons and daughters prophesying and all of them coming to the same table and then going on away rejoicing. Can you see it? That's what it means to be Eucharismatic. And I know that's tall and that's lofty and welcome to week one, (laughs) right? But I actually think this is something that God wants to grow us in being deeply rooted, being alive to the spirit, and, and being current, being reaching people. And if anything, I think this vision for the church, as they gather together and as we gather together, is one that is most in need for the cultural moment in which we live. Things are changing rapidly, friends. If you have kids, they are growing up in a beautiful but very different world. And I think the church needs to live like this to actually make a difference in the city in which God has placed us. You know, my friend Lee, he puts these changing times like this. He says this. He says the church is one of those former power brokers who once enjoyed a place of influence at the cultural table, but has been chased away from its place of privilege and is now seeking to find where it belongs amid the ever-changing dynamics of contemporary culture. And most of you feel that. I mean, even for clergy, um, 50 years ago, to be a pastor, dude, you were kind of at the center of society, especially if you lived in a smaller town or village. Like, you were it, right? Now, I go to the many, which is amazing. Finally, London is getting good coffee. Is anybody with me? So I tend to frequent these beautiful, new, local coffee places, and, you know, our fine baristas are there, and they'll ask me, so, what do you do? Oh, Yeah. So typically what I say is, like, I lead a not-for-profit, right? (laughs) Yeah, I lead a not-for-profit. And then they'll keep digging, and they'll be like, oh, so, like, what do you do at your not-for-profit? And I'll say, I don't know, I teach? Oh, cool, right? Cool. And then they'll say, like, what do you teach? I'll be like, dang, right? And it's not because I'm ashamed of the gospel. It's just an incredibly different cultural moment that we live in. And I believe this idea of being rooted, charismatic, and current is something that will lead us into our future. And as we live in exile, I think we have a model of exile that will help lead us as well. Because if you know anything about the people of God, in Israel's story, this was a community that was basically shaped around three primary things under God one, they had land, two, they had a temple. Which was this epicenter of worship in their culture, and three, they had a king. And over and over through the prophets, God would say things to Israel like, "Yo, if you don't turn from your ways and your idolatry, uh, I'm going to put you into exile. I'm going to send you in exile." And if you know anything in the sixth century BC, a guy named Nebuchadnezzar comes in, and with his armies and his empire, the empire of Babylon, comes in and wipes out Israel, destroys the land the temple and the king kills off a ton of israelites and basically takes the best and the brightest israelites and takes them and drags them over to the empire of babylon and in jeremiah 29 we get this picture that israel is sitting up on it's like historical they're sitting up on the kebar canal outside of babylon and they're literally wondering what we're going to do we've lost our land our temple, our king, everything has been disoriented. What are we going to do? Well, for the, Is- for the Babylonians, the Babylonians, ultimately their goal was to bring Israel in, brainwash them, and immerse them so much that they would lose their spiritual identity. That was the hope. Israel, on the other hand, and there's even false prophets that you can read earlier, Israel sitting up on the Kbar Canal... And they're wondering what they should do. And ultimately, they want to stay up there and look at Babylon from a distance because they feel the only way that we can keep our spiritual identity is to stay away, to stay out of big, bad Babylon. Now, listen to God's opinion. The Babylonians want Israel in to lose their spiritual identity. The Israelites want to stay up and stay out so that they keep theirs. And then listen to what God says. This is what he says. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Listen to what God doesn't say. God doesn't say, hey, build an enclave, stay away, it's really bad, they're going to try and brainwash you. God actually says to them, here's what you're going to do, you're going to build houses and settle down, you're going to plant gardens, and you're going to eat what they produce, You're going to marry and have sons and daughters. You're going to find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. And you're going to increase in number there. Don't decrease. Also seek the peace and the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile and pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now stop there with the slides. Interesting, God doesn't call these people in this Kind of exile to hide and stay at a distance. Plant gardens. Anybody planted a garden? Does it take time? Does it take time raising kids and have them being married? This, this is all about longevity and getting the roots down and being the people of God in a really dark and broken place for the sake of the world. And if you want to talk about why we practice all this stuff and why we do this and why our vision is to practice the way of Jesus, it's this. For the longevity and the health of our city Our city, and I don't mean this arrogantly, our city needs Praxis Church. Our city needs a community that's practicing the way of Jesus together. And he's calling us to a long, long road in the same direction. He's calling us to be these people that, yes, embody rootedness and charisma and currency and the beauty of the day in which we live, but also to this idea that we're going to root ourselves and plant ourselves in the heart of this city for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of our city. Now, have you heard this one? Jeremiah 29, 11. You all know it. It's probably on your Bible somewhere. It's on a bookmark somewhere. Just go to your local Christian bookstore. I don't, those things are still going, I think. Um, and you'll see on bookmarks and different things there. And this is what it says, and you know this by heart. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. What? Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you. This is like, great. People name it and claim it and declare it for themselves. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Which is great and it's true. But in context, just to remind you, This isn't as much about you as it is about us. So when we talk about planting gardens and seeking the welfare of the city and praying for its beauty and seeing God move, then God says, I have and I know the plans I have for you. Like y'all, right? I have a friend, she lives in Louisiana, she says it a lot, and I think it applies. God is not just saying to us as individuals that he just wants to build us up into something amazing. What he's saying here to a community in exile is I know, I have plans for you. And if anybody could reach out and grab this text in this moment, it's us. Plant gardens, stay a while, build houses, rent a condos and apartments, join in on the journey here because God knows the plans and the desires and the hopes and the dreams that he has for us. And we believe these things will come alive. Are you with me? Are you with me? Are you ready? I feel like this is a moment in time for us. Not that I ever sprinted. I like long distance running. The whole 100 meter dash or whatever is not my thing, but I do feel like this is a moment at the beginning of a race where the gun would go off and we would just step into all that God has for us. A community that's mission is to do what Jesus says is great, simple, simple, not rocket science, I know, but as well a community that practices the ways of Jesus together. And as we practice, we believe God has great plans for us.